Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie, it's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, this is pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You are Locked On Heat, your daily Miami Heat podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, let's do this. Welcome to Locked On Heat, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. My name is Wes Goldberg. I'm here as always with David Vermill. And as always, our goal is to be the nastiest, hardest working, and most disliked podcast around. I think we're way ahead, at least in the in the uh, last category, anyway. Most disliked. Yeah, yeah. I think you're right. Hard <laughs> it's working. I mean, hey, it's a Friday evening, and we're podcasting about the great Pat Riley. Maybe, maybe you know, maybe we are the hardest working podcast out there. It it it's irrelevant that I have a glass of bourbon in front of me. But you do uh, some of your best thinking with bourbon. <laughs> I often think that. <laughs> um, <laughs> so. We're going to break down Pat Riley's press conference because we couldn't help ourselves but to do it. So uh, if you're listening to this over the weekend, awesome. If you're listening to this next week when uh, after a few days after we've recorded this, but you're listening to it on your commute or whatever, still, that's great. Um, but we had to talk about it. So let's just start with uh, one of the more interesting things that Riley said during the press conference Friday morning. I'm going to quote here what he said, as opposed to trying to paraphrase. It's just better to just read Riley's words. Not that I could do as good a job, even though the bourbon might help. Um, <laughs> he says, we are way ahead of the rebuilding cycle. We are one step away from being a very good team. One step away could be the collective effort of an ensemble cast, or one step away could be a move to bring a player here. Now, first of all, I love this new ensemble cast theme if the, if ensemble is going to be a word that you and i are going to be using this season i'm down i'm down for that completely uh but it was interesting that riley was kind of just kept saying we're a step away and basically what he's referring to is we're a step away either from internal development maybe somebody like Dion waiters takes another step and that puts us closer to the top of the eastern conference or we trade a couple of these players to get another all-star and and we get nearer to the top of the Eastern Conference that way. Is that yeah. kind of what you took from that? Yeah, I think it ties into that theme of the ensemble cast. I think, you know, the, the negative way of looking at it is to say, well, this is a team that lacks a superstar. The positive way of looking at it is there are very good, if not great players that have bounded together to be more than the sum of their parts. And, and I think that's what we saw at the end of the last season when they went 30 and 11. And I think that's what his expectations are for this year as well. Yeah. I mean, I disagree with the notion in general that this team is one step away. Um, depending on what you're trying to step towards, if you're looking to get into, to be one of the top three or four teams in the East, then yeah, maybe, you know, this is a team that's one step away. But um, to me, when, when you're talking about, how far away you are. It, you've got to be, all right, how far are the Heat from winning the Eastern Conference? And I don't know how many steps that is. It really, it, it could be a combination of, it should be a combination of people taking 
uh, in, of internal development, players on the roster now taking steps forward, and then probably a trade. I, hmm. I think this team... Okay, at, hold on. At let, me, let, me cut, least, let me cut you off. Okay, okay. Let me cut, so I'm going to cut you off, because I'm thinking here as you're talking about this, and, and I totally agree with it. But at the same time, I can't help but think, and it's a discussion, a comparison that you and I have made a number of occasions, a couple seasons ago when the Atlanta Hawks won 60 games in the Eastern Conference. Does Whether this team not, have anybody as good as Al Horford or Pell Millsap? Yeah, but again, you're talking about Al Horford then, but there had been years where Al Horford had been eh, Al Horford and Kyle Korver <clears throat> had been Philadelphia 76er Kyle Korver, you know, or Chicago Bull Kyle Korver. He wasn't Kyle Korver that could knock down 40-something percent of his three-pointers. And Paul Millsap, solid heat killer that had had some decent years in Utah, had some really good years in Atlanta. But I don't think the perception league-wide, especially not from your more casual fans, recognized the greatness of Paul Millsap until probably a year or two ago. And, just, and I, a lot of them still don't recognize that. I think it's dangerous to start comparing to the Hawks, even though we do it over and over and over again. But I, it's to me, that 60-win Hawks team... We still remember that team because it was an exception, not the rule, right? And I just don't know if that's even what if a the thirty and eleven and how far away that Hawks team couldn't compete with Cleveland in the playoffs. That's a good there point. was no, that's it was not a competition. That team looked like a forty-five win team against those Cavaliers. It it kind of was almost coincidental that they won those sixty right. games. I, so a step they that sixty-win Hawks team was still two or three steps away from even competing against the Cavaliers. That's good. That's a good point. Uh, look, I mean, I think to, to add to what Riley said later on, and that's the next quote, and I'll, I guess I'll go ahead and read it out. Sure. Cleveland lost who I thought was next to Steph Curry, the best true point guard both ways in Kyrie Irving. They got a great one back in Isaiah Thomas, but there are questions there, meaning the injury status. We see an opportunity, he's talking about the Heat, because there isn't a golden state in our conference or a San Antonio or Houston. We will take advantage if we can. And so his comments there are that in context, look, that's that's for a lot of our listeners, they've probably seen the comment as the, the backhanded or you know the rather direct slap to Cleveland or Boston as far as not being a true uh, title contender. But the reality is that this was a comment embedded in a couple of paragraphs where he was talking about how good Cleveland and Boston respectively are, how they're at the top of the Eastern Conference. But he also adds the fact that, yes, there are weaknesses there. For, for Boston, they traded, as Riley points out, 10 of the 14 players who were on their roster last year at the top of the Eastern Conference. Cleveland lost you know, the next best player to Steph Curry, at least at the point guard position. I think that's hyperbolic, but at the same time, that's how Riley thinks. Again, this is another player, Irving, that he was looking possibly to acquire if reports are true. So it, it stands to reason why he would be as flattering as he was. You know, Irving's a free agent in a couple seasons when Goran Dragic, his contract winds up. It seems like maybe that's a, he's setting himself up. He's always looking three steps ahead, so it makes sense. But the point being, if he sees the 13-11 record as the reality rather than just a mirage, not to say that this team could win 60 games, but they can compete with a weaker Cleveland team and a weaker Boston team. Not to say that those teams don't have more talent overall than Miami does. I think that's pretty clear. 
but Cleveland is not the team this year than they were a couple seasons ago when they wiped the floor with that Atlanta yeah, Hawks team. I, and I, think, I, I get that Riley is giving reasons to believe, right? I, I get it. I just I don't want to start falling to this trap of how many steps away are the Heat. It's, it's almost irrelevant. I mean, he said it himself during the press conference, even though he believes that there are a couple players on the the Heat last season that deserve to be All-Stars. There is not an All-Star yeah. on the roster, but there's only 12 of them in the Eastern Conference. Um, he tried to grab a couple, and Gordon Hayward and Kyrie Irving this summer didn't work. Uh, but he knows that they need to... That's whatever, however many steps are left to competing in the Eastern Conference, that first major step is going to be finding an All-Star. And that, to me, is kind of what I'm getting from this whole thing. Is I don't, I don't know how far away this team is from competing for a championship. It, they are far. They're far from it, and that's not really the expectation this summer, this this season. But okay. they can, they are one step away from getting a new All Star player, and that 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 to me is the next step. That is the next step, and then from there, you can kind of get the lay of the land and determine where you go from there. But you also mentioned earlier that at least from Riley's perspective, and maybe it's one that we hold as well, there could be potential for an all-star type player on this roster already. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and he makes those comments, and he addresses a number of individual players on the roster, and he does talk about the expectations being rather high. I think that the, the player whom he has the highest expectations for, based on his comments, I, I believe was Hassan Whiteside. He expects Whiteside to make a great star turn this season and that he needs to continue to develop. He has high expectations and he believes that Whiteside can meet to those, that he, that in order for this team to succeed at its best, Whiteside needs to be the very best version of himself. Let's talk about that. But first, a quick reminder, make sure that you've subscribed to David Locke's Locked On NBA podcast for all of your national NBA news throughout the offseason. He's got interviews with coaches, scouts, and league insiders also, check out the rest of what the Locked On Podcast Network has to offer, including shows for every NBA team and your favorite NFL team, including the Locked On Dolphins. Want to know, right? Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Today's show is sponsored by Talkspace, the online therapy company. For a fraction of the price of traditional therapy, you can pick an experienced, licensed therapist you relate to and feel comfortable with. Each and every therapist has at least a master's degree and has completed over 3,000 hours of supervised work. To match with your perfect therapist, go to Talkspace.com forward slash boom. And to show your support for this podcast, use code boom to get $30 off your first month. That's boom. Talkspace.com slash boom. B-O-O-M. So he mentioned Whiteside and his goals. And it, what, I don't want to, I'm not going to say that Riley is stealing our ideas. But I'm not going to not say that. Because no, he signed Dion Waiters because of us. That's true. That's, that's fact. Um, he's on the right Look, side of history there. You know, he, he does talk about he does talk about people ranking teams in the Eastern Conference and where they have the Heat ranked. He says there are certain you know rankings that he listens to put on by people that he respects. I'm sure he's talking about Lockdown Heat, aren't you? One hundred percent. I mean, we are the what are we the nastiest, hardest working, and most disliked podcast around? It's per- right up his alley. That's uh, why we're plugged in, yeah. and and we record while drinking bourbon. At least you know both of us do, right? You so. can appreciate. <laughs> It's not just me. Um, so, uh, so Whiteside. The thing he said about Whiteside was, if he wants those accolades and that respect of being right. named to defensive uh, uh, defensive player of the year, NBA's All Defense Team, we've often said on this podcast that you know 
there's a lot of things that motivate a lot of different NBA players, whether it's money, championships, or whatever. With yeah. Whiteside, it's always seemed to be, and this might not be the healthiest version of motivation, right. but it certainly seems like this is his motivation, is what others think about him. The, the respect that he gets, that, that he either gets or doesn't get, but feels that he deserves, that seems to be sure. Whiteside's motivation, whether it's an NBA 2K rating or a spot on the all-defensive team or just leading the league in, in rebounds or blocks like two years ago and then just, and just being recognized for that, right? He just wants that recognition. And Riley, you know, says that, says as much during those press conferences that if he wants those things... He feels like Whiteside is taking the right steps to get those things. I, Whiteside, as as fun and crazy as he kind of can be, and you can kind of not take him seriously, he has taken substantial steps in his development in each of the last three seasons. Do we think that that's the next step? Do is is all defensive team realistic as Riley says it is? You know. That's, that's a tough question because you're starting to see some of the the trend in the opposite direction. At least last year, where where Draymond was a defensive player of the year, right? Um, and he's mostly recognized for his versatility, being able to guard players one through five. Go Bear made the all defensive that, team, though. I'm sorry. Didn't Go Bear make the all defensive team? Yes, and no doubt. Jordan, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I, and so that's the thing, though. It's like you've got you've got other centers that play defense similarly to what Whiteside does. He needs to be perhaps a little bit more effective, yeah. and and yeah, if that's the goal, that's fine. I mean, whatever motivates these guys to get to that next level, that's what you're looking for. And 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 the fact that that Riley puts this out publicly to say, yeah, it's all fine, it's all fun in games. If you're going to say this on social media, you can tweet, snap, whatever you want to, but at the same time, the, the the proof is in the pudding on the floor in 82 games. You need to go out there and prove that to everybody else. Not just tweet about it, you know, and and I, and I like that. I mean, that's the old school yeah. approach, but it works too. It's it's it worked last season when you got guys like James Johnson to take their games to another level, Deion Waiters, etc. Um, you know, for a guy like LeBron, who's always self motivated to get to that point, a lot of people theorize that it rubbed him the wrong way in 2014. It rubbed Wade the wrong way in 2015. You know, the, this is you, you take a risk. It doesn't always pay off. In this case, I think it would. I think Whiteside is a guy that says he puts a lot of stock in the great Pat Riley. He's used that t- terminology before. And I think he, he appreciates being called out like that and saying, okay, I'm ready to meet that challenge. If I'm Pat Riley, I have some sort of deal with the uh, game creators of NBA 2K. Like, don't give Whiteside this rating until he hits this, this, and that goal. You know? <laughs> Ronnie, Ron, Ron, I can't know, I don't remember his name. Ronnie something from you know, what, yeah, 2K. Yeah, absolutely. Like, give, give him an 85. Yeah. I don't care how good he is. Leads the league in rebounding, 84. There we go. <laughs> um, so, Riley also talks about several other players. He talks about Justice Winslow. And yes. he says, the more he feels the pressure that he's got to score or shoot the ball, he's got to get over that. We love him as an athlete and winner. And he's just 21 years old. We have a young team. But I want, I want to focus there on that first part, that he's got to get over that, that pressure that he has to score or shoot the ball. That's a very real thing. And it's something that in interviews, Justice Winslow has tried to brush aside, is that I don't feel that pressure. But clearly he does. And Yeah, that's and, horseshit. And it's complete. Uh, but and actions speak louder than words, right? And you could see that pressure. You could see that pressure manifest itself into the way he played last season in in just right. those those first 18 games that he played 
yes, he was hurt, whatever. But really, you could see that he was thinking about having to make those wide-open three-pointers, and he was hesitating. Yeah. And right. and Riley's basically saying he's not offering any sort of like spiritual solution to getting rid of this pressure. He's just saying, get over it. And you, you, you mentioned old school before. That's old school. Just get over it. Right, right. I mean, I don't know that it's necessarily going to work. I think that's the challenge is really up to Spolster to say, look, we're not looking for you to score. And, you know, it's mostly about, look, what Riley says, we love him as an athlete and winner. That's for Spolster to say, don't worry about putting up three-pointers. Your job is to attack, use that incredibly quick first step to yeah. get to the rim and then find those guys this, on the perimeter. That's why, I, I, that's why I think it's so important to find a defined role for Winslow because – Last year it wasn't. It was you're a starting small forward, be a starting do player. Just do all yeah. the things that a starting player does. And Winslow's just not at that level right now, uh, right. and it, or his at least his skill set doesn't mesh with the rest of the starters where he can just do everything because he can't do everything. He can't shoot, and that's the most important that's thing. Fun. And and so if you make him, we've we've said this a thousand times, but if you give him just go be James Johnson from last year for the second unit or just whatever role it is, distract him with something else to be good at. That's right. to me. What needs to happen here? I don't like, I, you know, I don't think he just needs to get over it. I just, he needs to be distracted or pushed in another direction. And just the shooting can come when it comes and just let it naturally develop. But for now, he needs to go and do other things that he's good at. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so he also talked about Josh Richardson, who we expect to compete with Winslow. And he did talk about that competition. He, he talked about it being a great one. Um, as far as uh, the wing players looking mm -hmm. for minutes and opportunities there. And uh, Josh Richardson specifically, he had high praise. He, he calls him a, a prototype contemporary pro player. He says he's young. He was slowed down, obviously, with a knee injury last year, missing the first half of the year. The wrist injury took him out of sync as well. Then it came together at the end of the year. He was dominant in personal workouts this summer. We always love to hear that. Mm -hmm. uh, the perimeter competition for minutes and a starting position is going to be one of the great things I look forward to in practice. So, Clearly, he has expectations of Richardson to challenge Winslow for the starting position, if not outright win it. And uh, he has high hopes in his versatility. It's one of the things that we've talked about is that at this point in time, Richardson is more of a versatile player uh, because of his offensive range, because of his ability to score in a number of ways. He's a better option than Winslow. Winslow, however, may be more dynamic as a playmaker. Richardson is a better shooter and probably more qualified as a starter overall. And again, Riley just stealing our ideas. He says he's a prototype <laughs> contemporary player, which is Riley speak for he's a 3 and D guy, right? Prototype okay. 3 and D guy, which is something I've literally said and written is prototype. Uh, so not to you know steal Riley's thunder here, but um, that's so what that's what we do is we just steal. His that's why we're the least disliked. That's, that's why we're the least disliked podcast. That is. <laughs> Um, but he's absolutely right. Like Josh Richardson is a prototype three and D guy, and you need those kind of players, especially in starting lineups. That's why they're so valuable in today's game. Um, love what he said about Richardson. Love that, like you said, dominant in personal workouts. That's the sort of thing you want to hear. Uh, if Josh Richardson is dominating personal workouts, he's viewed as a contemporary player. He's got braids now, which I'm on board for. I hope those oh, no, see the I'm regular not. season. What? No way. No, he remember he struggled when he had those last year and then he uh, changed them back. No, I just he's, I he's think gotta he got to do something about it. To what? Just the regular I don't know. buzz cut I don't that know. he had his rookie year? I don't know. I don't know. Did, no, you, see talked Winslow, about, did you see Winslow had yeah. the uh he was rocking the headband? Yes, I did see that. That's okay. That's okay. Yeah, I can okay. appreciate it. 
right, so we can. Agree I'm on also that noticing here disagree on the braids. Yes, I want. I also see here where he says about Richardson. Sorry to cut in there, but he says we believe in him, his size, his length, his defensive ability, his yeah. ability to shoot the ball, and he can get us into offense. But then he hedges his bet there. He says he can't really run an offense. But we don't mm-hmm. run offense when he's handling the ball. So he understands Richardson's strengths and his his weaknesses, and he puts them out there. And I think he, like I said, he has great goals for Richardson and high expectations. And he went ahead and said that, you know, Richardson isn't somebody that can get us into the offense. But he also talked about not having a true veteran point guard as a backup to Goran Dragic. And, and he basically said, look, Spolster doesn't coach that way. That's not the team he has. We want more versatility as opposed to just backup point guards. There's a lot of... Uh, beat writers and and we've gotten a lot of mailbag questions about the idea that you know there's beat writers saying that the Heat need a backup point guard like a true backup point guard. We've gotten several mailbag questions saying the same thing, but I just I just don't think that's the case. That that's the way the NBA is trending is that instead of just having a guy that can only play backup point guard, have more versatile players that could do a little bit of everything. And if Dragic gets hurt or if you need a backup point guard for whatever reason, you handle that by committee. And and that and you just you maintain a level of versatility there, um, and then as far as uh, you know everything that he was saying about all these players, um, that what am I going to try to say here is that he was honest. He was honest about each player, and there was a level of honesty and directness. I think during this press conference. Yeah, that's fair. About. You know, these are great players. I believe in them. But also, I can trade any one of these guys any minute. <laughs> I guess you know? that's always you... that's always hanging over there. This like the sort of damage. But he was open says... about it, right? He's like the, he 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 even referred to a few. He even referred to the roster as assets at at a, at a few points during the press conference, and I appreciated that. You know, from if if you're a player listening to this, he kind of touched on every player on the roster almost. He did. He did. And that that's key, right? Even if he he talked about Udonis Haslam a lot, he basically said, yeah. I, don't, "I don't have to say anything about Udonis Haslam," and then went and said a bunch of things about Udonis Haslam. And <laughs> if you're Udonis Haslam, that that's good, right? You you like that recognition from your boss's boss. But it at the same time, he he was really upfront about the idea that any one of you, guys, if you're one of the Heat players watching this, if anybody gets traded, it's not going to come as a surprise, right? Yeah. So um, just a couple more notes uh, before we wrap this up. He said that uh, the Heat will stay at 19 players going to training camp. There's no, the, right. the teams can have up to 20 for training camp before they have to bring it back down to 15 for the regular season. He, Eric Spolster basically told them that uh, 19's fine. Riley agreed. They're going to stay at 19. And uh, I thought this was interesting. Eric Spolster was wearing a T-shirt that said, that said true competitor on it. And right. Riley asked him where he got it. Spolster said he had it made, and Riley said, asked why he didn't make one for him. Well, uh, there, there goes Spolster's boat bonus this Christmas, I guess. <laughs> I just find it interesting that Spolster, I'm, it's it's the mind of head coaches that that interests me so much that at some point Spolster decided that for whatever reason it would help him his team. If he had a shirt made true, made to say true competitor on it, right? He doesn't do that for as a fashion statement, I don't think. Right? <laughs> yeah, that's not gonna like that's not gonna win any awards in Milan, <laughs> that's for sure. Right. He's not going to the fashion week with Dwayne Wade and, and Jimmy Butler in France, but he's oh, no. he for whatever reason his coach mind said, 
Eric, you need a coach or you need a shirt that says true competitor on it, right? And he had right. it made. He talked to his assistant. I need this made. I just I can't find it on Amazon. And Riley, a former a Hall of Fame coach, loved the shirt. So I don't know what Damn. that says other than that Eric Spolstra is a great coach, right? Or a younger clone of Riley, I guess. That's Which it. would be a great coach. Sort of like. Yeah, great I guess coach. you're right. <laughs> Either way. Uh, any, any other uh, takeaways you had from this thing before we wrap up? Uh, you know, I like the, uh, the the Udonis Haslam story where he, he was so impressed that he lifted 300 pounds 10 times. And he talked about, you know, a couple mailbags ago, somebody asked us why the value of Udonis Haslam. Yeah. And Riley illustrated perfectly saying he's – Eric Spolstra's greatest ally in the locker room. Yeah. And, and, you know, there's a negative connotation there in that why does a coach need an ally? But you always want somebody who acts as a liaison. Like, one of the things that we've discussed before is that coaches in the front office are them as opposed to us, us being the players. And, and there's a, an understanding that way. It's like you, they're the bosses and we're trying to do our job even though everybody comes to see us. They're still the ones who control our minutes, control our pay, et cetera. It's good to have a guy like Hasm who acts as an intermediary and, and kind of he can you know, filter break the message. Down. You know, absolutely. Spolster absolutely. can't Spolster can't throw water bottles at his players, but Haslam can throw water bottles at his teammates, right? And get absolutely. the message across that way. And I'm sure he does. Oh, he also talked about Dwayne Wade, at least to the most that he could. He hinted at the fact that, that was Wade is, it's, <laughs> you know, it's he's under contract, um, and so he can't really discuss much. But again, he kind of conveyed something openly that maybe he hasn't always been uh, willing to do in the past, and that's discuss his love. He actually, I think, used a phrase, in aside love. from the fact that I'm, I'm in love with Wade. Yeah, that's that's where it starts to get so, a little so odd. He, in, he, in it was, I was squirming when I was, I was like, look, he's obviously bi- biding time. Ira Winderman asked the question, friend of the program, of course Ira Winderman. Would. I of asked course. the question about Wade, right? And I was you know, you're just waiting for this pre- for somebody to ask and and Ira Winderman, of course was the one that did it and uh so he asks him and and Pat Riley knew the question was coming and he just kind of was just I, I felt like the whole time while he was answering he was just killing time until like he decided that it was a good wrap up point and just like get over the question it's like if i could just say enough words he'll he'll think i answered the question but i didn't at all so he basically just said i'm in love with Dwayne Wade and Gabrielle Union super hot that's basically what he said Right? <laughs> yeah. I think he didn't say quite like that, but he said, you know, seeing him at the <laughs> Emmys next to Gabby, I a was beautiful, thinking we've a come a long woman way. woman in person or something like that. He's, yeah, he's really come a long way. It's like, wow, okay. Yeah. Take it easy. Tone it down there. Um, you know, I, one more thing. Uh, okay. I actually saw this, uh, you know, after the fact as well. He did discuss, I think, AP's Tim Reynolds asked about whether or not players were going to be okay or accepted from the front office if mm-hmm. they made any kind of political statements and things of that sort. Yep. And Riley was handled it a little awkwardly, but I think the, the final message was our players can do whatever they want to. We respect that. We give our players the freedom to do whatever they want to. They have to deal with it when they're conscious and the potential backlash from the media. But as far as the organization is concerned – we allow them to do whatever they want to. We're not going to put the kibosh on anything that they may have to say. If it means taking a knee, sitting down during the anthem, or again, what they did last year, which is to lock arms in unity during the anthem, that's up to them. But, you know, we, we have an open door policy, and I thought that was kind of interesting. I'm sure that's a question that will probably be asked 
at every media day. So I'm, I'm curious to see how other teams handle it. Um, but but at least I'm glad to see that Riley, probably somewhat a little conservative in his general line of thinking, at least is open-minded enough to allow players to recognize that players have a very public forum and that this is something that is necessary, I think. I agree. Look, and and if you want to read the rest of Riley's comments, uh, the Miami Herald's Barry Jackson has a great write-up on it, basically going through most of the key points, um, as do uh, all the other beat writers. Uh, we're going to be talking. We're, I'm sure there's going to be more stuff that we could talk about. There'll be things that come up in our mailbag for Monday, uh, which reminds me, send in your mailbag questions. You can send those in uh, to LockedOnHeat at gmail.com or tweet them over using the hashtag AskLOHeat. Uh, but for now... That's all the uh, nastiest, hardest working, and most disliked podcast around has uh, for you today. So thanks for listening. Um, remember to follow us on Twitter at Locked On Heat. If you're not subscribed already, please do so to get the podcast automatically every day. Then go to iTunes, rate us, review us, say nice things about us. We haven't had a review since July, David. That's disappointing. We got. It. We need more. We need more. Um, Absolutely. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for joining me, David. You got it, Wes. <laughs>